In episode 58 of Design EDU Today, Lynn Fisher, Phoenix-based artist and designer currently working at And Yet, joins us to discuss her unique approach to responsive design. The conversation goes into how CSS properties such as grid give designers the same control over their screen-based designs as they have over their print-based ones. Lynn also talks about maintaining side projects as a way to learn and grow new skill sets. The conversation wraps up with Lynn sharing her approach to illustration, UX and UI design, and her freelance work. Hello, and welcome to Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary, screen-based, interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Lynn Fisher. Lynn is an artist and designer currently working with her heroes at And Yet, where Lynn does lots of things, including UX, UI, front-end development, and illustration. Lynn has spoken at a handful of conferences, including CSS Day, And Yet Conf, JS Conf Brazil, and Phoenix Design Week. Lynn's work has been featured on CNN, NPR's Here and Now, Vox, and Inet Magazine. Lynn maintains a wonderful side project called Y.AZ that celebrates Arizona where she lives and works. Lynn loves to call Phoenix home with her husband, Clay, and her two pups, Boomer and Hilo. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, and thank you for sharing your home as well here in... Is this still in Phoenix? We are in Phoenix, yes, technically. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right, so probably this is not the most exciting um, question that I could ask, because and you've already written about it quite a bit, but this is super relevant to me and my students, um, and it's specifically because when I'm explaining breakpoints to my students, I actually use your your new design website because it's just it's so easy for them to see it, where some of the other ones are just so subtle. Yeah. So when I've read the case study that you have on your blog, so I tell every I, every my listeners go read that first. <laughs> um, to see what we don't ask and don't cover. But so I'd like to hear more about the visual design choices you made, uh, especially the Kulishov effect. Is that how you say uh, it? Kulishov, yeah. Kulishov. Yep. Oh, it's closer than I thought. <laughs> Is this how you determine the sequence of design changes? Um, you know, I, so I took a lot of inspiration from print design, actually. Um, a lot of the kind of vintage posters, vintage movie titles, um, a little bit more of the kind of traditional graphic design um, with CSS Grid that's coming out or that has come out and is, you know, prevalent now in um, modern design, web design. A lot of the kind of older, cool, unique uh, graphic design layouts are much easier to accomplish now in CSS. So I was kind of experimenting with that visually to kind of, um, you know, see what kind of interesting layouts I could accomplish. And so... um, as far as like the cool shop effect, which is basically it's a term from film editing where, um, you know, the sequence of two shots 
are more meaningful together than, you know, one shot in isolation. And so as you resize the site at each breakpoint, you know, the, the layout shifts dramatically. Um, and I didn't have a, a, you know, an overarching plan. I kind of started with one um, and then went to the next one and said, okay, well, this is what I did with this one. So this next one just needs to be different. It needs to have, you know, a contrast. If you actually look at all the designs side by side, there are some that have a lot of similarities, but I wanted those ones to be separated. Um, and so, you know, each one feels unique from the one before it. Um, I kept things consistent in some ways. I tried to keep, you know, a limited color palette. It's mostly black, white, yellow, and red. I kept mostly the fonts the same. And um, I think that helped, you know, tie them all together. But I did want kind of every single one as you move through them to feel like a totally different thing. Can you talk a little bit more about the whole idea of the movie poster and other things like that? Because I'll, I'll preface that like one site that I designed, I actually got, you know, I was flipping through Prince regional design thing and I was like, huh, how would that translate to the web? And so, I don't know. <laughs> Can you yeah. talk more about that? Sure. So yeah, I actually saw a talk by Jen Simmons yes. um, where she kind of took inspiration from uh, traditional graphic design and some graphic designs of the past that would have been really difficult to translate into CSS, but now with CSS Grid, it's a lot easier. Um, and so what I was looking at were, essentially with print, you have you know, a lot more freedom in terms of where things are placed on the page, in terms of like layering, um, you know, things can kind of float in negative space. Um, and the way that we've been designing for the web for so long is like kind of adhering to the document flow of the markup. Like, this comes after this, and this comes after this, and they kind of just are boxes that kind of exist within this space. But with Grid, you can really take a piece of content and position it in a way that makes it, um, I mean, I guess you could, you kind of have to break your thinking a little bit of like the document flow, but it allows you to really experiment. And so what print designers have been doing for years, we can kind of come around to again. Um, and so things like diagonals, things like, um, you know, boxes, um, asymmetry, uh, putting things on angles, you know, like shifting, kind of thinking about the page as a canvas. Um, you can really do a lot of neat things that print designers have been doing for years. And I think the web is finally catching up to that. Okay. So with the grid, CSS grid, would it almost be better to like teach students HT, like the CSS grid so they can use that? I mean, whenever a student approaches whether they're marking it up in, or whether they're making it in Sketch or XD or whatever your layout program du jour is, or if they are even approaching it from HTML and CSS, they're they're very stuck in that grid. You know, no, there's no, it's everything symmetrical. So I'm just wondering what, a, a good way to break them of that. What would that be? And I'm just wondering if maybe just like no, let's just learn grid, and and then maybe that'll be like. You know what, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that could be cool. I think what Grid allows you to do is to move stuff around really easily. And so I think it's a, um, especially if you're coming in fresh, I think sometimes if you've written CSS, you know, the same way for many years, shifting to Grid can kind of be harder than coming in fresh with Grid. Um, but yeah, I think like a student could take, hey, pick a poster from the 60s or something that has like a really unique layout and let's recreate it in CSS. I think that's a cool exercise. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the way to do that and to, way it do, to do it easily is with grid, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, you know, there's 
the dilemma that people have about like, well, I still have to support older browsers. So I think you do have to, um, you know, look in conjunction with grid, like look at kind of um, other layout techniques that people use, things like Flexbox, floats even, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do any one thing in CSS. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to balance that. But yeah, I think grid is a super accessible and easy way to get into that and thinking about the page in just a unique way. Yeah, I think we're lucky because I'm I'm specifically thinking about design in the terms of a graphic design program. So they don't have to worry about how it's going to be produced. I mean, yes, they need to worry about it, but at the same time, you know, if they can produce it in grid, then you know, the developer could find polyfills. I know that's not what it's how it's meant, but right. there like you said, there's a bazillion different ways that somebody could work around it and make it progressive and mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah. I don't, I think fortunately we don't have to worry about that yet. I yeah. think we need to spend more time pushing the boundaries and then right. yeah. reel ourselves back in. Yeah. I think it, for students, especially it's cool to kind of just see what's possible and to just experiment with different mediums. And so I think, yeah, that's a, a cool approach. So you have some amazing web based side projects such as y.az, a.singlediv.com, Airport codes, um, airportcod.es, <laughs> if you want to say it that way, topchefstats.com, just to name a few. Can you talk about your most favorite one? You know, how did it start? How did it grow? Yeah. Um, so probably I love them all in different ways. They all kind of express a passion of mine. Um, I think, though, the one I feel strongest about is my single div project. Um, and what it is essentially is just a sketchbook, a digital sketchbook for me of um, drawing different things using CSS. And so generating um, images, illustrations with code. And um, the reason I started it was um, I kind of got into CSS drawing. I was looking at a lot of examples and um, I just wanted to challenge myself. I think it's a challenging concept and it's, it is divisive. I think some people don't like the idea of it, but, um, it's cool. And with a single div, what I do is I just, I put a constraint on myself, which is that I only use one, um, HTML element and then the rest of the image has to be drawn with CSS. And so it's been the longest ongoing project I've done. I've been running it for almost four years now, um, updating it semi-regularly. And, um, I think it's the, project that has challenged me the most over time and where I can really see my growth over time. Um, you know, I tried, I've tried to draw something once and like, ah, oh, I just can't quite figure it out. Then I revisit it in a couple of months and like, oh, I see it. I, I can see how I can do it. And I think that's just a really cool um, progression and experiment that I've been working on for several years. Um, and I went to art school, kind of traditional fine art school. And, you know, one thing that we always did was essentially like take a thing and do it and then do it again and do it again. And um, you learn by practice and you can see the progression of your skills as you go and um, style progression and uh, you know, what you have to say is different as time goes on. Um, and you know, doing exercises with constraints. So like the example I always kind of point to is in um, our, our painting classes, it's like, okay, well you have to paint a picture, but you can only use like the primary colors or you can't use black. Right. And so you have to use your tools in a different way and you have to look at, OK, well, I can't use this. So what can I do with the tools that I have? And I think that's been just a really 
good exercise for me and, um, you know, just pushing myself to keep learning. And like, in addition to that, I think it's, it has produced some inspiring work. I think it's fun to see how, what I'm able to accomplish. And I love seeing other people trying it too. I think that's just a really fun part of it. Like, you know, using your tools and kind of in interesting way that maybe they weren't meant to be used um and just exploring and learning new stuff so it's been really fun yeah i'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you mentioned so you when you're in art school you do one thing but 50 different ways and you really push and you really explore and i think that is the biggest my, that is absolutely my biggest frustration when it comes to interactive web design however you want to label it is you know in a program you've got you know one two three you know three typography courses you've got three just like general layout courses and then you've got one web course <laughs> and that one web course needs to teach every single thing besides you know like typography <laughs> right and it's just not practical yeah, and it's we're we're so missing out on that repetition of of doing things because of just I think the limitations. So yeah. I'm glad somebody. I'm glad that I think it's will be easier for me to explain to my colleagues. That like you know, let's think of this in the fine arts fine arts context. Yeah, you practice this over and over and over again, and this is how you achieve your best results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that people sometimes look at tech or web design um, coding as being separate from art. But I think the way that you approach it and the way that you learn and gain mastery over it is really similar. I think the process is similar, the repetition, the learning. Um, I think that you can, I'm actually writing a blog post right now about like software engineers essentially um, getting fine arts degrees or not degrees, but like learning more about fine arts and the process that artists go through. Because I think a lot of it is um, applicable. No, I, I'm lucky where I'm at because the, I mean, it's our fine artists all really do, do generally appreciate creative coding mm -hmm. and they're just bending it and making it to what they want. And it's, I'm, I'm so glad that they're, they're, they're in the forefront of that, of like cool. adopting that as a, as a new tool yeah. for them to use. Awesome. Um, so again, I, I love all of your website projects and I think what I like most about them is not any one, but all of them. The fact that there's like you've always got this like like I this clever idea to try something because again it goes back to that idea of experimenting you know just keep trying something keep trying something this is how you learn so if you could turn these into like a student assignment that I could give my students where they come up with their own idea for a side project from like ideation all the way to launch um, and, and keep in mind that my students do have a limited HTML and CSS skills. How would you kind of go about like boxing that up? Right. So I guess a similar, or I guess the common vein of all of these projects is just something that I'm really obsessed with <laughs> or just something I'm excited about. Like, and it can be anything, like it doesn't have to be art related. I think of, you know, I have, I'm maybe one of those people that has a really loose definition of what can constitute art, but you know, like one of my sites is just how you know I love the show Top Chef and so it's just hey there's a lot of data that exists within this show I'm gonna compile it and analyze it and then share that in like a graphic way um which is I mean I, I don't know if there's a, any sort of um course related to like infographic type creation um but I think that's just it which is hey what do you care about so much 
that you could create something about it. And so you could take an angle like, hey, here's just this knowledge I have about this TV show or um, this band or this whatever it might be, this location. Like I have a site about Arizona, like things I love about Arizona and um, kind of compile that information. I think taking information and making that visual is kind of an easy step to creating a project Um, as opposed to having to do something for someone. I think it's like, hey, here's some stuff that I know about that I'm sharing with you. Um, And people respond to that. I think you can, if you're not doing code, you could create like a poster or an infographic or um, you, I think for me, I just make stuff for the web. So I'm like, oh, it's a website, right? Um, I think of like, hey, I love this show. It'd be cool if there was this site about this show. And I think that's a good way to get started. Um, It doesn't have to be anything. I think sometimes there's pressure that like your work needs to be like world changing or like it has to be something that's never been done before or, um, you know, do something novel. And I think what a lot of people respond to is like, hey, this person just really loves this thing and loves it so much that they like turned this creative energy into this whatever it ends up being, you know, like a poster on a wall or a pamphlet or whatever. And it's just turning it into something visual, I think would be a cool assignment. Um, and I think with that, you can also, it doesn't have, some of my sites take like months to compile all the information, but I think you could do something where it's like, Hey, just take a couple days, compile some info about a thing you love and turn it into something visual. I think I, I, it, it occurred to me when I was listening to you talk about it is I think I've tried some of this. St- I tried this once before in another project where like just like we're calling it Internet memes. But I, it felt like there there came too much pressure to like pick something. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. The ones that did end up being the best ones were the ones that people were just like passionate about. Remember, this was back when I was in Chicago and, and one woman she did just like a simple vote for the Cubs or vote for the, the White Sox. Yeah. And that was like, it was one of the best ones. And she was passionate about it. So um, let me, let me, let me see what you think about this. So I think the problem is like the pressure of like having to pick up an idea. So I'm wondering if it would be better to just like literally start like in the classroom, like what are you excited? Like literally just like say, you know, 10 random goofy facts about yourself or five random goofy facts about yourself. And then this like kind of start, bouncing those around and yeah yeah I think um Anil Dash posted a a tweet on Twitter once that was like what's the one thing that you know more about than anyone else does right like what's the thing that like you are so into that like you could teach someone else about it you know that might be a fun way to do it too yeah no that that's actually perfect because then that'll I that alleviates the pressure of picking something because then we'll talk about it and then I'll randomly (laughs) <laughs> take notes and say this is what you should do but go on and sleep on and think yeah of you see if you come up with something mm-hmm. you're more excited about yeah so that'll no that's perfect because that was the hard part for me is like how do I introduce this as a project yeah awesome. right you know, I know <laughs> <laughs> all right so I also love your illustrations I'm actually jealous of <laughs> um, people who can illustrate well so how do you balance your drawing practice with your front-end development practice with your UX UI practice those are a lot, each one of those is a separate field. I mean, that needs a lot of practice. So how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I think um, kind of along the lines of coming up with a project, you know, sometimes I do think like, well, what skill do I want to stretch for this project? And so sometimes you can um, 
basically create the parameters of your project around the skill you want to do. So actually airport codes now is mostly photographs of the airports, um, which was a good idea to do it that way. But originally when I was doing it, I was going to do illustrations of each airport. And I started that and I got through about like 10, but then realized there's just thousands of airports. And so it would just take a lot of time. But I think, you know, with Top Chef, the Top Chef site, I was um, doing some Photoshop skills while I was doing that. Um, with a single div, I'm learning CSS illustration. Um, and my job at And Yet just has a, an interesting breakdown of like UI, UX, front-end development, and illustration. So I'm lucky that my job provides that learning opportunity for me too. Um, but, you know, what I'll do sometimes is just focus my energy in a particular project. Like this project, I'm going to learn this CSS technique. And in this project, I'm going to like practice my illustration. And so combining those things together, which is why I also like making for the web, because I think the web allows for a lot of that to exist within the same project. Um, so like if you're creating a site, a lot of, I think the web is really embracing like header illustration right now. Lots of sites are ha like having these really kind of neat um, illustrations in their hero space and on their websites. And so I'll just focus some energy on each of those things when I can and combine them into the same project. Um, I do like to illustrate for fun, just little silly things. So like to learn, I do some illustration with like my trackpad on my laptop. And sometimes I use a Wacom, like a pen and tablet. Um, and so just doing silly little things like posting it to dribble or um, posting it nowhere, you know, just practicing. Um, and coming from a fine arts background, you know, I learned um, early on that like, you know, drawing just like anything, you just have to practice. And so um, I try to do that as much as I can. But yeah, I, I think if you tie it into a specific project, like doing that work over and over again, it's, just, it's a lot easier. Yeah. So since you do a lot of design, a lot of illustration, <laughs> UX, UI, and you do have the fine art background, what do you think is a, okay, so I'm, I've always kind of wondered if life drawing, if still life drawing is the best way to introduce designers to drawing. Cause I feel like they, they need quick sketching the, the illustrations or it's like abstraction, not detail. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the best way to kind of help prepare somebody to make those header illustrations that you're right. talking about? Yeah, so I do actually have kind of an exercise that I've given to people, which essentially there's, um, you do two things once a day. Um, one is you draw something that you can see. So like more like a life drawing or still life type thing, pick something and draw it. And the second thing is to draw something from your imagination. And so you do those two things once a day or at whatever frequency you feel comfortable with. Um, and what that does, I think life drawing is good um, you should, I think what you're practicing then is seeing something with your eyes and putting it down on paper, right? And then imagination, drawing from your imagination is good because you're, you can't see it. And so you're taking something that only you can see and making it visible to someone else. And I think both of those are just a part of illustrating. I think, um, uh, you know, especially like different styles on the web right now, um, most illustration isn't super representative or photorealistic. And so you're taking parts of realism and imagination and combining them together. Um, and then as far as like not worrying about details, the way that I kind of, you can kind of structure it essentially is like your first several drawings are a minute long and you use like a fat Sharpie or a piece of charcoal, right? And so like the fatter your instrument, 
the less detail you can even get. And so you don't worry about it as much. And then as you get, as you feel more comfortable doing that, then you can refine your pen, get us, you know, um, start using um, a colored pencil and then you can move to a regular pencil or to a pen and then do like two minutes or three minutes or four minutes and kind of work your way up. Um, I think that those things have helped. I do that still sometimes just to practice and it's quick, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm just going to take a minute and do a drawing. And then also no pressure. I know that people like to use sketchbooks, carry them around, but I sometimes just use like a piece of like scrap computer paper or like an envelope, draw something and then throw it away. Right. Like not everything you do needs to be something that is kept or like, you know, um, I think that can be pressure too. like, Oh no, I'm going to look back on this and ah, but which is, it's cool to look back and see how you've grown and see how you progress. But also I think just draw and don't worry about, you know, creating a masterpiece each time. I love that you, you articulated what I've been thinking for such a long time beautifully with that statement about the exercise for drawing is like that life drawing is like drawing what you see, but then like drawing from your imagination. It's like trying to get your imagination out on paper. And that's where, that's the, that's what the designers need to do. Yeah. They, they don't need a really super high fidelity. They just need to get their imagination out on paper and they can do it through the paper medium quicker, pen and paper, you know, medium quicker than they can on a computer. And they get their ideas out at a low enough, at a high enough fidelity that people know what the heck they're thinking, but then not super, you know, time consuming where they spend all day, you know, moving around, you know, buttons. Right. Yeah. I think with paper, especially it can be just really gestural. And like, if you draw a rectangle on a piece of paper, I think everyone understands that it's ephemeral. It's just, this isn't, the product it's not the final but if you're in like photoshop or illustrator and you're creating these perfect rectangles it can be hard to get away from that like oh it's not quite perfect and people can also fixate on that as a client or as a team member like oh this is feels off balance is that on purpose as opposed to like a sketch everyone knows that's not or it was quick or it was you know not the final thing and I think with getting stuff out of your head onto paper and being able to like explain that to someone is a huge part of UI UX too, not just art. It's, you know, how are you able to communicate the thing that you want to do visually? Yeah. Um, so in graphic design programs, we don't have enough credit hours to train students to master all these skills that we're just like literally talking about. I mean, we don't even have, you know, time to really you know, have the master one. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so based on your own personal experiences, how should design educators better prepare students to, to meet the demands of this multidisciplinary economy? Because that's what it is. Right. You know, that's really hard. I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's only so much time. I think um, I've always kind of been multidisciplinary. My major was actually intermedia. And so I was just jumping around through lots of things anyway, um, which I think was super valuable. I think, um, you know, because you can't master any one thing, you know, it's, hey, here's the, th you know, you can maybe touch each thing. I mean, at a surface level, I guess, or you can get deeper in some, like maybe, I don't know, you do like an emphasis in something that's much more specific. You can do a deep dive. Um, but I think preparing students to be multidisciplinary and to look at mediums and to think about the space in between disciplines, I think is super valuable that not a lot of schools are teaching and a lot of people don't get even when they're self-taught because sometimes you like pick up a path really early and you kind of just deep dive into that path right away. And jobs are set up that way too, where it's like, hey, you're a JavaScript developer. What are you doing doing design, right? But it's like, hey, if, if you have experience with both, that makes you really valuable on a team. 
And if you can understand and work well with designers, that's super valuable. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think like approaching design in that way where it is cross-discipline, I think is super valuable. Um, and also like, I think that maybe the most important thing, especially for the web is that being prepared for things to change where like, um, you know, I think it's a industry that's, you're just constantly learning. You just have to, to keep up, um, which is cool. But, you know, I think also can be hard and intimidating when you're coming into it. Or, I mean, I get intimidated by it too. There's so much that sometimes I'm like, ah, I just, I feel like I need to catch up. But I think what you learn in school, sometimes people lament like, ah, oh, I went through this program and now everything I learned is out of date. But you're building a foundation. And so like what you're learning, if what you're learning is like, hey, here are these tools and maybe these tools aren't the things I'm using in a year from now, but the concepts are. Right. I think thinking about things between tools, between mediums, like, um, you know, a lot of the concepts you learn in graphic design are absolutely like applicable to programming, but maybe you're, you're not using the same tools or you're not thinking about a pro you're just thinking about a problem differently. Um, so I think that is super valuable as hard as that can be to articulate and to yeah. teach. Um, but yeah. Well, one thing I'm wrestling with, and I'll just ask you your opinion on it, and then we can go from there, is, like I said, there's not an, I, I feel like we have enough time to teach print, or we have enough time to teach web, but not both. And I know, yes, there are some skills that design is, good design is universal, so there are some fundamentals that change, but there are some that are different. But then there's also UX, UI, and I'm just wondering if that, kind of needs its own oh its own program or yeah, something because right i mean and also too they say like well designers make you know like the whole like design thinking like designers are really good at that or but mm -hmm. you know right I, where do you stand on that whole yeah i mean i think ux is something that's missing especially i think there's some contention about what UX means within companies. Like a lot of times they'll say like, oh, you're a designer, so you're just naturally good at UX or you like think about the user, so that's UX. But there are, I think UX designers, there is a practice and a discipline where you're using tools, you're using strategy, you're using um, process and create like gathering insights and things that I think are absolutely missing from like a graphic design or even a web design program or even in roles. I think a lot of it is like, well, you can kind of, fill in the gaps where you can. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that feels to me like it should be a separate thing. Um, but I don't know like where the crossover would be with the others. Well, I, I think so in most traditional design programs, this, this is why that this is the argument that educators will make. It was like, well, we teach them how to, we're designing a logo. We teach them to, to think about the audience. We teach them to research that. And, but that research and, you know, starts and stops at Google. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I think it's designers do it, but on such a, a very superficial level, there's no like depth to it. And so that's to me where the difference between, you know, like how a designer approaches the research of a user versus how a UX right. <laughs> designer yeah. is it's the, it's the, depth mm -hmm. in, involved in it is that a fair assessment because again this I'm making this up <laughs> yeah no I think for sure the depth definitely like and also just being deliberate about it I think the way that UX designers if you you know UX designers that work for large scale you know that work at a large scale with a lot of audiences and um, they're you know gathering research they're 
um, just doing a lot that a, a visual designer or even a front end developer like can touch the surface on, but they're not gonna, I mean, it's a full-time job, right? Um, and I don't know, I think that feels to me like a discipline that really, really could benefit from mentorship where, um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we learn is on the job, which is, which is hard because, you know, you, you, you want to learn as much as you can in school to be prepared for the job. But I think UX feels so like insight driven and process driven um, as opposed to um, just, you know, all of these disciplines are difficult in their own way. But I think there are some that rely more on just memorization and practice as opposed to like, I don't think that anyone will have access to like an Amazon size scale of audience to do research on, you know, on their own or even in like a program at a university. I think um, sometimes to learn those skills, someone maybe has to take you under their wing or you have to learn from a team. And so I don't know where to bridge that gap. I mean, maybe it would be like an apprentice mentorship type program um, where you can really kind of jump into something like that. That to me feels like the hardest to convert into a program at a university or at yeah. a boot camp or anything, you know? Well, I, I, the way I'm thinking about it, 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 there's a lot of jobs in interactive design and there's a lot of jobs in UX design. And I don't think students coming out of a graphic design program, even if it's, I mean, cause I can introduce like, we're going to do a persona. This is some, you know, and I can even give like a tiny little bit of meta methodology to it, but that's not enough to be a UX designer just because you know how to make a persona and because you can know how to conduct a user, you know, some sem semantic differential survey and, and that's not enough to make you a UX designer. So th I think that's why I'm like, I can give, I feel that we can, you know, design educators and, and graphic design programs can give graphic design students a taste of UX to understand it, to be able to utilize it when it's, you know, when they're working in teams. But conversely, I don't know if, you know, somebody leaving a graphic design program, I don't know how to make them prepared for a UX job. Yeah, I <laughs> honestly, I, I feel like that's the biggest gap in my knowledge too. So I think, and I came, I mean, I went through art school, but a lot of the like web development and UI stuff that I've learned has been on the job for sure. And so, yeah, I think like, I don't know. I think there are a lot of people like Jared Spool like doing this kind of UX school like training for companies and for students. I think that's really awesome. I think we're we're heading toward that path. Um, but I think also the like the number of teachers too is just naturally smaller the pool um, compared to graphic design or some of these programs that have been established at universities for a long time. Yeah, I mean it's again it's an it's a relatively new field that educators or who are teaching it probably are making it up <laughs> and you know that doesn't mean it's the right way or the wrong way it's just what they learned yeah. so um okay so on the subject then with just like these different skills can you talk a little bit about some of your client work like specifically the approach you know well just maybe your client work then i'll follow up <laughs> sure um so i worked with a kind of a broad range of clients like for through freelance work and then also I've worked for like agency consultancies for most of my career um, and so it just depends on I think one thing I've realized is that um, you can have a process you can um, you know prefer things but every relationship is different every project is different and you kind of have to adapt to what each project needs um, so 
you know, I've worked on some like team augmentation type clients where I just kind of join their team and handle whatever like illustration, design, front end development tasks that they need. So those are kind of cool relationships where it's really collaborative. There's a lot of um, learning and things like that, like understanding their product. And then there are some clients where it's like, hey, we don't know what we're doing. You need to tell us what we're doing, right? Which is, um, I think, kind of the more consultant type relationship that I think I I think if the, I were to pick one, I think that's the one that I'd prefer mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you can really kind of um, like share your experience and take the things that you've learned and your expertise and really help a client um, in a kind of contained project. Two things there. Um, well, no, yes, there's two. But the first one, and I'm glad you mentioned this, is because I've been talking to my students about it too, and it goes back to that. There's a lot of work out there for like, I'm going to use universities because that's the, they all have, every university has a, a web team working for them that implements somebody else's design system that was created for them or, you know, they, and so there's a lot of that now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that where you're going to be kind of working with another design in almost an in-house design team. Um, can you talk about that a little bit more like what the what that looks like? Sure. Yeah. So essentially you would come into a team where there's a lot of history, right? Either the designer or designers that you're working with created the system or they also may have inherited it. So there's, you know, some different dynamics there. And so what you need to do essentially is to jump in, learn about the company, learn about their product, their goals, um, you know, kind of figure out what works for them in terms of um, timing delivery, communication. So there's kind of that learning process of just figuring out how to work together, um, which I think is sometimes the harder part of the job. Uh, but um, I think any, I guess a good school, a skill to learn too when you're jumping into jobs is that um, very rarely are you starting something from scratch. And so it is important. Like we all have a style. We all have a, you know, a method or decisions that we would have made about a thing but you don't you regularly jump into something where a lot of those decisions have already been made for you maybe you disagree with them um or maybe it fits right in with what you would have done and so a lot of it is like how do you work within someone else's system how do you adapt your style to fit in right i think that's a big part of working with clients is that um, in most cases you can't just do whatever you want it has to fit within their brand guidelines. It has to fit within their web style guide. It has to fit within, um, you know, the voice and the tone of their company. Like what might be appropriate for like a fun, small startup wouldn't necessarily be appropriate for like a medical company or something. You know, you have to adjust what you're doing based on that. But I think a cool part of it too is that as you work with clients and you gain trust and you collaborate, um, maybe the things that you didn't like that were decided earlier, you can say, hey, like, I would maybe do it this way. Like, what do you think? And they might say like, oh, absolutely. That's like, we've been thinking about that for a long time. Thank you for bringing it up. Right. And I think you can start to create change within their system, uh, which is really cool. And you can, um, I think, you know, as much as we love doing work for clients, I think we also want to do work that's fulfilling for us. And I think for me, that's really fulfilling is like, Hey, like, how can I make this better? Um, in a way that like, you know, my experience can, you know, lend to this other team. Yeah, I think that's the biggest shock to the system for students is 
so they go to university and they go into the fr their freshman year and they're taking foundation courses that are generally taught by artists. So there's that mentality of like self-expression, creative, and then, you know, by the time they, you know, they, you know, they go into graphic design, then they go into their graphic design major, but then they're, you know, like they're given pretty much like creative, like freedom to do whatever they want. <laughs> and then they like end up going out into the industry and you're like, no, you're re you're not redesigning Airbnb. Airbnb already has their design. You just need to take their existing system and make it into like this new product that they're doing or something like that. And that is super hard. Um, and I just, I, we've, we've, I think we need to find a better way as educators to prepare them because that's also, I think, a kind of a different type of design. Yeah. Creating something from scratch versus redes you know, creating something from a parameters. I think right. it's a different skill set. Absolutely. I think one thing that we say at India is that some people um, are starters and some people are maintainers. And so I think that, um, and people switch off between projects, what they're good at and what, you know, what part of the project I think they'll excel at. And so, yeah, I think... Um, like some people really need that kind of like vague concept of like, what is this? I want to figure out what this is and like make it a real thing. And then other people really do thrive and like, hey, there's this like set of structure and rules that I'm following and I'm like being creative within these constraints. And so, yeah, I think they are different types of design. Both have challenges and, you know, benefits in either way. Um, but for me, I think one reason also is why I do my side projects is, you know, a lot of the work I work on for my day job is that kind of jump in, help out. There's already a system in place. You're kind of designing things within this already existing ecosystem. And so, hey, for my side project, I'm going to make this thing just totally from scratch and I can do it however I want. And so you do want, I think, a good balance of that, but sometimes you don't get it at work. And so you can, you know, maybe figure out how you can, you know, scratch both of those itches. This is a, a probably an off the topic off the off topic <laughs> question, but you mentioned that there's like those two types of designers, ones who kind of originate versus the ones who can, the maintainer versus originator. Okay. I am, I kind of see myself as a maintainer mm -hmm. and I would, I'm really jealous of the people who are the originators. <laughs> do you like no exercises like cross? Can you like do that? Can you like oh. force yourself to be like one or the other if you're, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty good at doing both. I think, um, what it, I think a lot of what it comes down to, too, is how, uh, comfortable you feel with, um, things being undefined or things being vague. Right? I think some people, um, feel creative when there's nothing there, right? Like, oh, th it could be anything. And so I feel creative and other people can feel burdened by that where it's like, there's too many options. Like, oh, like when, I've seen some designers where they have a set of restraints, a list of requirements, and they are just so creative within those constraints, right? And so I think there's just different, um, I don't know how, I haven't really thought about like how to deliberately like switch between the two. Um, I think this is, I don't take this advice lightly. I don't know. I mean, I think it sounds, it'll sound that way, but essentially it's like maybe um, taking something small where, um, there's just the like, uh, requirements are vague. You don't know. There's just a lot of freedom to do something and just doing it. Right. It's say like, okay, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to make a decision and just do it. And I think that indecision of like too many things can sometimes keep people from starting. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I don't know. And maybe also just, you're going to start something and knowing you're not going to finish it. Right. I think sometimes starting with, 
it's hard for people to start things because it's like, oh, I'm going to start it and then I'm going to have this like thing I have to do <laughs> or like, you know, like how will I ever find the time to finish it? Maybe it's like, hey, just start it and don't worry about finishing it. Get it to a point and you're like, okay, I'll move on to the next thing. And maybe that just practicing that um, where or teaming up with someone that and like maybe you're typically a maintainer and they're typically a starter and you switch roles on the project. And so you can assist each other in that where it's like, ah, I'm struggling with this. Like, what would you do here? Maybe that could be an interesting exercise where like when you're ready to hand off, there's someone there to take it the rest of the way. Yeah, no, that's yeah. the best kind of relationships, collaborations. I yeah. had that with a former colleague of mine. She was just a brilliant starter, but she started things over and over and over, <laughs> over again. And I was just, I was just really good at like, this, okay, this, that one, let's go. Yep. I see where this is going. Good. Let's get it there. And you know, those yeah. are just the best kind yeah. of relationships. Totally. And both points of view and methodologies are, are, so valuable like oh, yeah. you need both on any project you know yeah the sum is greater than its parts yeah exactly so it's if you get two of those people you can produce exponentially what you could by yourself mm -hmm. um okay so getting a little close on time but just a couple more questions yeah. and one of those the follow-up is you mentioned the freelance work um i've been thinking one thing i want to do with this with this podcast you know soon if not immediately is start actually talking to some freelancers um, the reason being is that is a legitimate job. I mean, I think we kind of look at it, we don't really look at it as a, as a job option. And I think um, it's definitely a job option. It's like, should maybe I just be teaching them how to um, make f Squarespace, uh, you know, manipulate a Squarespace, a Squarespace template. Mm -hmm. So just as a like freelancer, is there like things that you like wish you would have known, maybe like that are within the realm of like a graphic design program. Could right. Introduce. Yeah. So freelance with freelance, I think they're like, like you said, like Squarespace or even WordPress sites. I think there's just an abundance of work. Right. Um, I think the hardest parts of it are um, essentially you're managing your own time. And so you really do have to like, especially with graphic design, with art, like things can just keep, being improved and keep being right and you have to at some point say like okay this is done this is how much I'm being paid for this project and this is acceptable as done so I think that's a big part of it like just learning um, and I think school is a good environment for that because you have deadlines you have um, you know you have to present your work at some point and so um, I think that's actually a good practice for a freelance type job um, but you're you're managing yourself and so I think that is the biggest thing talking with clients like I think the like talking about the work is a hard part where like you can create great work, but if you can't talk about it, it's not, yours. not going to have a lot in terms of client. And, um, th that's just a crucial skill of being able to sell your work. Um, I think finding clients is a hard part too. I think that is, I think a big part of school too is building up a network. And so if like a class could provide you with um, skills of like building a network, places to go, people to reach out to, um, you know, maybe like the university teams up with um, companies that know they need these these sites that are good for freelancers. They don't necessarily need a big team on them. Um, or people could say like, hey, I need a site, but I don't know, I don't know how to find a freelancer. I think that's hard for people too. And so maybe like the university could connect um, freelancers with teams that need it. Um, but yeah, I've never, I've never freelanced solely as my like single source of income. It's always been either supplemental to a job that I was doing or while I was in school. 
And so I think like, yeah, there's a lot to be learned there from people that do that as their job um, full time that I probably can't provide much insight on. But I think um, the big part for me was um, managing a pro you're essentially managing a project yourself from start to finish with a client. And so that I think is totally teachable, right? Like here's how you come up with um, how long it's going to take you. I think that's maybe the hardest part is like estimating how long something's going to take you. We're all terrible at it and it's always just a guess, but that's how you price your work, right? And also I think teaching early, early on to charge the right amount for your work. And I think that can be really hard when you're starting out too. You're like, ah, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have a huge portfolio yet. So I'll just charge like only a little bit. But I think, you know, charging what you're worth, like understanding the value of your work. And um, like, I think when, if you're a freelancer and then you go to a team and you find out they're charging like $250 an hour or something, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been undercharging my work for so long. I think um, like teaching that skill, like being able to like articulate why the work is valuable and why a client would need to pay you that much. I think that would be a good skill to learn. Thanks. I mean, like we didn't have to go too far into it because it's just something that's been on the back of my mind. Yeah. This was just a good chance to ask this to get the generals. <laughs> yeah. All right. So second to last question. This is um, a new question that I want to start asking each and every future guest. So I'm starting with you. And, okay. and this is basically why I started out doing this podcast in the first place is what piece of advice would you like to give design educators to better prepare students for life post-graduation? I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, which I guess maybe there's two things. One is that um, kind of teaching, setting students up to be surprised or to, um, you know, approach the industry as a career of change. I think that in, in terms of mindset and not specifically like a hard skill, I think that is just like if you could set someone up for that early, I think that that would make such a difference. I think a lot of the people that I've worked with that really succeed in this industry are people that like really kind of commit to that where it's like, I'm just always going to be learning. I'm always, things are going to change and I'm not going to be like dogmatic or stuck in my ways. And, you know, I'm kind of on a journey as like, you know, cliche as maybe that is, but I think that is a, a huge part of it. Um, I guess the other part too which we kind of touched on with the freelancing thing is like just how to sell yourself and how to, sell your work. I think this is an industry as much as we don't like it. A lot of it is like, um, who, you know, who you can, how much you can talk about your work and how articulate and passionate people perceive you to be. Um, I think like being able to create a portfolio and speak about it, um, not, and I think in, at the very least, just in interviews, you know, I think the interview processes can be scary, maybe doing like mock interviews, but I think, um, at a baseline, what it all comes down to essentially is being able to speak about your work and being excited about it. Yeah, I, I particularly have been like reading a lot of like Dan Mall has been talking about. He just does a really good job of breaking it up as like, you know, like Mike Montero mentions it where, you know, don't do that. Don't describe what this looks like to them. They can see it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is this valuable to right. them? And uh, Dan does a really good job of like in some of his presentations of like, driving that home there's like particularly one good one where he's like he's like presenting a slide to he's like okay this is what i'll show to the client and you know it, it goes into the history of the font and you know like why did we use it and it's it, it, it's it's like laden with facts that like the client at that point cannot argue mm -hmm. it's like oh 
<laughs> Even if I don't like it, I don't care. I, you, you, you know, you yeah, can't argue it. Sure. So no, that's a that's a huge skill, and we don't do it. We just don't force. We have the students talk about the way it looks and mm-hmm. the choices they made, but we don't get into that the value of the choices they made. Mm-hmm. So no, that's a good one. All right. So Lynn, before I let you go, is there anything new and amazing <laughs> that you are working on that you personally would like to promote or, or share or um, talk about or anything? Sure. I think um, it's, I'm going to have an interesting summer. I think I might um, be, so YAZ right now essentially is a list of facts. It's kind of just an informational site, but I do have some big plans for it this summer. And so what I'm potentially going to be starting is a like long form storytelling and illustration and photography series for um, you know, local storytellers, local artists, and local companies and venues and things to be a part of YAZ and um, kind of grow it into something that is a little bit more representative of the people here and also can share just even more of what's awesome about Arizona. Um, I'm going to be doing some fundraising and doing some uh, YAZ merch, hopefully, some like stickers and pins and maybe some apparel. I don't know. So um, none of it's you know, figured out yet, but that's what I'm working on and I'm pretty excited about it. No, that's going to be awesome because I mean, I lived here for what, four years. I only spent a year in Phoenix. So I don't, and that was kind of like, felt like transitory when I was here, but I really got to know and love Tucson and I just felt there's, there's a ton of history there. Yeah. There's just, there's people don't realize just how much history and pride and stuff is floating around in this state. And I, I saw it in Tucson. So that'll be fantastic yeah. to be able to hear that because there's just certain gems of, of that floating around. So I'm excited for that. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. All right. That's all we have time for today on episode 58 of Design EDU today. I want to thank today's guest, Lynn Fisher, for being so generous with her time. I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Design EDU today, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU today.